Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. So this week's episode is called Why We Are Made With Mistakes. And of course, we all make mistakes on a regular basis, some of them bigger than others. And we're going to be thinking about this today on a number of different levels. And uh, I'll share some of my own mistakes. Um, and I'm going to hope, hope that you're going to call to mind some of your mistakes, perhaps some of your bigger mistakes that you tend to avoid thinking about and actually empower you to use these in a much more creative and empowering way than uh, how you normally feel when you call these things to consciousness. Now, I I feel the need to apologise, because uh, for some of you, the autobiographical nature of the last uh, couple of episodes uh, might be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to dive uh, again and into a few of my own stories, uh, again, on the uncomfortable side. Uh, and uh, and if uh, this isn't going well for you, then that's fine. Um, you know, skip today's episode uh, like you might have skipped some of the other ones. We are going to come back to some practical things. I've got a, a whole theme I'm developing uh, coming up in a few weeks' time. We'll see how long it takes to get there. But uh, we're going to be zooming in on evaluation and evidencing impact. So the practical stuff is coming. Hold on if that's what you love this podcast for. Uh, And uh, the reason I feel the need to apologise is that I get really mixed feedback about this kind of stuff. Um, I talk about my mental health uh, uh, in passing um, uh, and sometimes tell the odd story as part of my trainings. And some people really dislike this. Um, uh, they think it's, it's unnecessary, it's oversharing, it makes them feel uncomfortable. And I have designed what I say very carefully to avoid them uh, triggering people. Uh, I've stopped using trigger warnings now uh, after having read a, a very useful meta-analysis of studies of trigger warnings that shows that in fact they don't work. And in fact, uh, the only effect that you see is that it actually uh, increases the, the, the level of trauma. <laughs> so I just have a completely um, uh, yeah, stripped back all of the details um, so that, that this just, yeah, anything I say will not trigger people. But nonetheless, uh, a lot of people uh, find, uh, find this, uh, well, I say a lot, uh, some people find it problematic. And depending on the negativity of the, the feedback, uh, I kind of uh, hold back from the stories for, for a few weeks uh, until I remember that this is important. And yes, a few people might really dislike this, but the most positive feedback that I get uh, from my trainings and from this podcast is from people who hear these often personal stories, resonate with them and realise, yeah, there, there's something in me here that is resonating, that's being unlocked here, that is enabling me, giving me permission to think, to feel, to reframe, to do things differently. Uh, and so 
uh, I'm, I'm pushing back um, uh, on, on that reticence <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to, to share a few more stories today. But uh, again, as ever, trying to make this relevant to you, get you to think about your story. That's why I do this, because I believe that, uh, that by sharing these stories, by thinking about them, by using these as, as a vehicle to make these deeper points uh, that you too can unlock things at a deeper level than you might otherwise unlock and do. So today I'm building on last week's episode and I want to encourage you to take a step yet deeper into self-compassion. And this is really important because uh, the the reason I I am able to talk about this is because I am giving myself uh, self-compassion. I'm going to be taking the rest of today off um, uh, just to reflect on what this all means for me to to make sure that I'm giving myself enough self-compassion because, yeah, it it takes something uh, to, to share stories like this. Uh, And uh, my hope is that uh, as you interrogate yourself, as you think about your own mistakes, that you give yourself that self-compassion, that you hit pause, you take the break, you go and do something to recharge, to to treat yourself, to, to just... Yeah, believe in yourself uh, despite the mistakes that you've made. And I think the messages in this will will help you to do that because uh, we all make mistakes uh, on a regular basis. And we all get the the, the idea, I think, uh, hopefully, that mistakes are not things that we have to constantly regurgitate and regret. These are, of course, opportunities to learn and to grow. But I think we can go deeper than that. We get that, obviously, (laughs) because whether we like it or not, and whether we're aware of it or not, our mistakes shape parts of who we are. Some of these are conscious and positive. For example, my identity as a survivor rather than as a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Some of them, though, can be negative and unconscious. So, for example, a belief that I've called to consciousness um, in recent years, that uh, I have no moral compass. um, uh, And as a result of that, I must, uh, in theory, be capable of truly terrible things. And I have to be constantly vigilant because, uh, yeah, who knows what I might do. Uh, I look in the news of these people who do terrible things. And I I ask myself, could that be me? And that was because of the way that I was brought up in a a church setting uh, where uh, all of this abuse was going on and I was being told that everything was good, everything was fine and there's these really mixed messages that just gave me the sense of, yeah, what is right or wrong? I have no idea. (laughs) But also this was influenced by the story that I'm going to tell you today, um, a huge error of judgment that I made near the beginning of my career. Uh, that confirmed that dark fear that, yeah, maybe I have no moral compass, maybe I'm capable of anything, maybe I might do something that I will live to regret for the rest of my life. Um, uh, and, uh, and yeah, uh, these are subconscious, um, uh, negative beliefs that have grown up. And yeah, in fact, the reverse is true. Uh, I have uh, an incredibly strong moral compass because I have had to sort out fact from fiction, right from wrong, and really do the deep work to work out, yeah, is this stuff right? Clearly no. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I do not take anything at face value. I do not trust anyone instantly. Uh, 
um, I, I, I interrogate, I test, I weigh morally um, on a regular basis. Uh, so really valuable to, to just to, to, to call these stories to consciousness, uh, the power these stories have to shape uh, internal subconscious beliefs that can be incredibly disempowering. So what I want to do in this uh, episode is to give you a framework that can enable you to think about how you deal with mistakes in a way that goes far deeper than this obvious stuff about admitting that you're wrong or making reparations uh, or just reframing mistakes as learning opportunities. Yeah, we get that. Uh, so I want to give you a framework that can enable you to reframe your worst mistakes that is not about changing them into positives. Because ultimately, if you've made mistakes as big as I have, that would be wrong and it would be dishonest. This is not positive. Uh, what I did was wrong. Uh, but by dealing with them in a way instead that lets you see the lessons and parts of your identities that these experiences have shaped. And these are things that perhaps you need to interrogate and deal with. Uh, parts of your identity that are problematic, that you need to call to consciousness um, uh, and ask, uh, are these authentic? Uh, or perhaps these are things that now, when I look at them, I realise, yeah, these are authentic parts of who I am, that I can have compassion for, that I can love, that I can see actually can do good in my life and in the world around me. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm fallible. I'm, I have limitations um, and uh, I'm not perfect, far from it. I'm aware of all of this stuff. Uh, I see these as parts of who I am uh, and as a result of this. Uh, I own these, I have compassion for these and good can come from them. <clears throat> So, uh, more than just failure as a, as a teacher, uh, we are going beyond just learning from our mistakes and, and learning about how our mistakes can teach us who we are and enable us to be more authentic. <clears throat> Uh, so I'm going to go back uh, to a time uh, in my early career and uh, share a story and use this story as a vehicle for this, uh, this framework. And as I do so, I want you to ask yourself, what are those stories that, uh, that you try to forget, that, uh, that you would never dream of telling anyone? You've perhaps never even told uh, your closest friends, uh, your, your partner. Um, those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, I can't believe that I even thought about doing that. That yeah, uh, how on earth did that happen? Uh, and as you call that to consciousness, there, there can be a real sense of regret, a real sense of shame. And I want you to hold on to that and uh, and own that. Uh, but I want you to to also start to think about how we can bring some self compassion into this because I think very often we've not thought about this for years often at least not properly uh, and when we really take this out into the open uh, and especially if you do what I'm doing uh, and talk to someone else about this you realize yeah there were mitigating circumstances in fact anyone in that context could have made the same mistake uh, and uh, yeah, it wasn't right, but perhaps actually I have dealt with this in a way that I am proud of. Uh, perhaps this has shaped parts of me that I actually really value. Uh, and this is how I am actually now using this in the current day. And as I look at who I am now and what this has produced, 
compared to who I was then and how I used to feel about this, I just suddenly just realised actually, huh, I'm in a different place with this now. So, uh, great, you're maybe not there yet, but listen to the story, listen to what I do with this and see how you can begin to hopefully try and transform some of this stuff. So I've spoken previously about uh, workplace bullying in the podcast and, um, and how I've actually experienced this in uh, a number of different um, roles and positions over the years. Uh, and ultimately that was a continuation of uh, school playground bullying um, and much of it uh, felt very similar and was, was quite similar in, in its pettiness. Uh, and it does make you ask the question, yeah, why does this happen to me? Um, and uh, and you could, of course, argue that, well, yeah, it was because of what happened to me um, growing up that I was a target in the playground, um, and that in turn made me a, uh, a target for, for bullies in the workplace who could kind of somehow smell the fear on me <laughs> uh, and could see, yep, here's someone I can manipulate, uh, maybe. Um, equally, you could say, I've just got a, a lower threshold uh, for negative behaviour than other people uh, because of what's happened to me. So uh, what you might see as just someone being a bit grumpy, I might interpret as anger. Um, uh, and what might uh, you might just kind of blow off, uh, I might get triggered by and, uh, and have a really negative reaction to. Um, uh, so the reality, I would argue, is probably it's, it's a bit of both. Um, uh, uh, and... Uh, <clears throat> And then the key thing is to not allow the, 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 that last argument to say, well, it's actually my fault, I just need to grow a thicker skin. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, yeah, I might be oversensitive, uh, but you don't know how sensitive someone is and you need to moderate your behaviour um, uh, and not just assume that everyone's got a, a thick skin. Uh, there are good reasons why uh, some people have thinner skins uh, than, uh, than other, other, others. Um, uh, yeah, who knows? It maybe it's, it's something like me, but it could just be. Yeah, I'm suffering from a bereavement at the moment, um, and, uh, and that's what's going on. There's so many things we don't talk about, so we have to be self-controlled in our dealings with others. Uh, treat each other with kindness, patience, respect. Uh, that uh, that needs to be our default. Um, and if we've got some frustrations, we take them out in other, more healthy ways, uh, not on the people around us. Because uh, remember, the definition of bullying is about the impact on the victim, not the intentions of the perpetrator. Yes, I know you didn't mean it to come across like that. I know you didn't meant, mean to have that impact, uh, but that was how it actually landed and that was the real impact. Um, and now you know, great, you can do something about that. Uh, anyway, in this particular job, I had been pre-warned by a number of people that uh, the group I was joining was going to be problematic, uh, that there was a, a known problem with bullying in this group. Um, and in fact, uh, it was so well known that um, uh, they'd been unable to fill the vacancy for quite a long time. Uh, clearly, others uh, were being warned off the, the job. Um, so uh, for a variety of reasons that you don't need to know about, I decided to take the job despite the warnings. Um, and uh, given what I knew I was heading into, I decided that I needed to take a new approach to bullying. So uh, no longer was I going to just suffer in silence and cope with the impact of this on me. Um, uh, I wasn't going to make formal complaints if I could help it. That was uh, always going to be a, a resort of, uh, sorry, a, a kind of a last resort option. Uh, but I was going to face each person who bullied me uh, where possible right at the time and stand up to them, calling out their behaviour explicitly and uh, where necessary asking for an apology. 
And, uh, and sure enough, on the first day of the job, one of the members of the group uh, cornered me. Um, uh, and it was uh, literally, I was cornered in the post room, um, uh, in the corner of this very small room. And, uh, and they explained uh, how it was expected that this post holder would take over one of, uh, one of their teaching modules. Uh, it wasn't in the job description. Nobody told me that. Um, but very clearly, yeah, this, 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 is, this is yours. I'll meet up with you and explain how this all works because you'll be taking over, over my teaching. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I was like, okay, thanks. I wasn't aware of that. I will talk to my line manager and uh, and see what they have to say about this. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't um, uh, going to say yes instantly anyway, because I knew nothing about the thing that he wanted me to teach about. <laughs> Um, uh, so he started to get upset uh, and made it clear that uh, he was above my line manager. Um, uh, and so uh, given that he was telling me I was doing this, I didn't have a choice. Um, uh, and uh, and so, uh, so yeah, there was this, this sense of, okay, uh, so new day in the job. This person is clearly important. I didn't realize how important that they were. They're more important, more powerful than, uh, than my line manager. They're telling me I have to do this thing I don't know how to do, I don't want to do. Um, and the way they're doing this, I'm feeling cornered. I'm actually beginning to feel kind of panicky. I can see the door, but they're blocking it. I need to get out of here. <laughs> and so I explained, uh, I'm late for a lecture. Uh, in fact, oh my goodness, look at the time. I need to run. And I pushed past him and escaped. <laughs> um, so uh, the conversation um, uh, that uh, that uh, that he said we needed to have um, uh, never happened. Uh, I spoke to my line manager, and they were like, "No, don't listen to him." And it was clear that uh, that yeah, there were conflicts upon conflicts in this group, and uh, and yeah, I, I got out of that particular uh, that particular issue. Uh, apparently, this guy, in fact, he, he said, yeah, every, every new person who comes to the department, he tries to pass his teaching off onto them. Uh, so well done for not taking his teaching. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh, anyway, uh, first uh, bully uh, dealt with. Uh, my next issue was uh, a, a institute director, uh, so someone who has actually got actually got real power, and uh, and he is uh, a known bully, and um, and regularly uh, I'm told uh, had staff emerging from his office in tears. <clears throat> Uh, so despite not being my line manager, uh, he ordered me to do something via an, on e uh, via an, uh, an email. He did so in a very blunt, uh, unfriendly way, just expecting me to do this. Uh, and so I felt no guilt in sending uh, a polite, but very explicit and to the point, no, which led to an outrageously rude reply from him. Um, and so uh, I then asked for an apology. Uh, yeah, you cannot speak to another member of staff like that. Uh, that's just completely unacceptable. And of course, he uh, ignored that. So I went to his office to request an apology in person for what he had said. Uh, he went bright red and said something um, even more colourful than his face. <laughs> uh, my heart was pounding. I t oh, my goodness, I felt sick. Uh, it was one of those things of, yeah, I, I am terrified. Uh, but courage is doing what is right despite how terrified you are. Um, and uh, uh, my... Uh, 
Uh, my voice was shaking, uh, but um, uh, I, I explained to him that, uh, uh, that I would now be uh, asking uh, for an apology, uh, not only for his, uh, the original email exchange, but for what he had just said to me just now, which was even less appropriate. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and I left the room, uh, let him calm down, and I came back the next day, knocked on his door, and requested my apology again. And he had calmed down enough to engage with me, and sure enough, he apologised. Uh, clearly, he knew what he had said was inappropriate. Uh, it was in black and white in an email. If I wanted to make a, a complaint, which I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't threaten, but uh, he knew he was not in a great position, and um, uh, and. Uh, and I, uh, I got the apology. Uh, talking to some colleagues months later, I, I discovered that uh, apparently this was the first time that anyone in that institute had ever heard of him apologising to anyone for his behaviour. Um, uh, the problem was, though, it turned out this was not a smart move. I had just created a very powerful enemy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I knew from the start that this was about my principles. It wasn't a strategic move. I didn't do this uh, to, to influence um, uh, and to, to achieve uh, any other end than what I believed was right um, uh, and, and to stick to this uh, zero tolerance approach that I decided to take moving into this, uh, this, new, uh, this new role. Um, uh, so loads of people told me, don't do this. Mark, are you crazy? Going and uh, trying to actually get an apology from this guy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I would not have been able to sleep at night um, uh, if I had just continued to let this guy walk all over me. It, it just, it just was a yeah, it was a non-negotiable. I had to do it. Uh, but then, uh, as you can imagine, things got a whole lot worse, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I made uh, a huge error of uh, judgment, uh, and uh, and then. Um, uh, I, I am proud of the way I dealt with my error of judgment, even if I'm not um, uh, proud of the error itself. Um, but uh, the, the approach uh, that I took um, uh, involved uh, telling uh, someone um, uh, uh, who, uh, who then decided to use this to blackmail me. So um, this is, I think, probably the, 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 the moment in my career that I am least proud of. Uh, it, it has had a huge negative power in my life, uh, as I've uh, regretted the decision that I made. Um, uh, but I think that part of the power that this has held for me is the secrecy that has shrouded what I did. The fact that uh, I've only told my wife, uh, I haven't told um, any colleagues about this. Uh, and, uh, and so today I'm breaking that silence and I'm telling you all what I did. Uh, and. And as part of the framework, we're going to kind of codify this in a moment, but this is part of it. Um, when you've made a mistake, keeping the secret actually allows it to grow arms and legs, uh, allows you to subconsciously create this incredibly negative, disempowering uh, narrative uh, around this. Uh, and the shame feeds on the darkness of secrecy. Uh, so, uh, by opening things up to the light, it's possible to transform unhealthy shame into healthy guilt. Uh, and what I'm not saying here is uh, that I just uh, absolve all, all guilt and say, yeah, I'm telling you what it is and, I, and I'm, I'm proud of it and, uh, and I have no guilt. 
Guilt is there for a reason. Uh, guilt is, is there to do something about it. Um, we feel guilty because we've done something wrong, and that guilt then uh, powers us to sort it out, to say sorry, uh, to, to, make, uh, to make amends, to, 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 to achieve some kind of resolution. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, this is this is not me trying to get some kind of free therapy from you. It's um, it's it's trying to uh, enable you to see that whatever you might have done in the past, um, it is possible to to have that courage to talk about it. Uh, Self forgiveness is possible, whether or not anyone else forgives you, uh, which of course is part of uh, self compassion, the theme that we've been uh, we've talking about. Um, but I think that uh, although forgiving yourself is probably one of the hardest things you can do in life, um, uh, far harder than forgiving those who've wronged us, in my experience, uh, it is essential if we want to stop hiding from our mistakes and actually integrate them into this more authentic view of ourselves, uh, including both our limitations and the parts of ourselves that have been shaped by these experiences so that they can heal and become fully integrated into us. And uh, we can potentially now use these parts of ourselves for good. So uh, this wasn't the uh, Institute head. Um, uh, I had another enemy um, uh, who um, uh, had uh, significant hierarchical power over me. Um, so he was a head of unit. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and we were locked in conflict over the way that one of my postdocs was being treated. Um, uh, the postdoc uh, had taken the matter to the union uh, because I hadn't managed to, uh, to get this sorted with uh, the person above us. Um, and, uh, and I was, at the time of this conflict, um, also working to a major grant deadline. Now, I had uh, co-developed this grant with a whole load of different stakeholders. Um, so lots of uh, the great and the good um, people that were in my networks, um, they'd invested time and energy in creating this, uh, this bid. So not just academics, but uh, many of the people I wanted to benefit from this uh, ultimately. And, uh, and the deadline was looming. Okay, deadline day comes. And, um, and I am right up against it. Um, uh, so I'm early career. I have learned nowadays to not leave these kind of things until the day. <laughs> but sadly, one learns from one's mistakes. Um, and so, uh, and it's now 15 minutes to the deadline. And I hit the validation button and it says, uh, your grant is not validated because you need um, a, uh, a, a letter from this particular person in this particular role um, that says that they are happy for you to submit this grant. Um, uh, and so I now had a choice in front of me. I, I realise now in retrospect I, I had actually got a, a much more um, pleasant choice. I, I could have simply gone to my research office, explained, and they would have written the letter and signed it for me and, um, and uh, away we went. Um, but at the time, I realised 15 minutes to go, um, uh, there's, uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to persuade someone like this uh, to drop everything they are doing and write and sign and send a letter to me in time for me to get this submitted. Um, uh, and so uh, I either uh, write something myself uh, and submit this, um, or I decide to not submit the bid and we let all of that hard work go down the drain. 
And so uh, I, there were two mitigating factors here. The first was the fact that um, in this department um, I had to, uh, to go through an internal process where this person had to uh, already approve the bid. And so there was a form and he ticked all the relevant boxes, he'd signed the form, we'd spoken about it and he had said that he was happy, me, happy for me to submit the bid. Um, uh, and so uh, uh, not realising that I had any other choice um, uh, in terms of getting someone else to sign this for me, and I'm not convinced there would have been time anyway for that to happen. Um, uh, I, I decided, uh, well, he clearly uh, is happy with this. Um, uh, the bigger picture, if I were him, uh, this is in the interests of our group, of our school. Um, surely, given that he said he's happy, he would prefer that I simply uh, wrote the letter. I'm not going to forge any signatures or anything, but I'm going to write his name at the bottom of this letter, uh, saying only the things that he's ticked boxes for on this form, and I'm immediately going to now go and tell him uh, that uh, this is what I have done. Uh, and of course, explain that if he's not happy with this, um, then I can withdraw the bid. Um, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, given um, yeah, that he's already said he's happy, uh, and he, uh, why wouldn't you want the, the, the funding? Uh, he'll be fine. Um, how wrong could I have been? <laughs> um, uh, I, I went and I spoke to him, um, uh, so I emailed him um, uh, immediately and, uh, and then went to speak to him the, the next day. Uh, and as soon as I came into his office, I knew that this was not going to go the way that, uh, that I thought uh, it was going to, to go. Um, and, um, and so, uh, so he basically uh, said, um, what you've done is completely wrong. Um, uh, the, this uh, is a matter uh, of, um, of discipline. Um, there will have to be a disciplinary process for this. Um, he then uh, pulled out uh, a, a, a filing cabinet drawer um, and pulled out a folder um, uh, and it had my name on it. And he said, uh, and of course, this is not the first thing that we have crossed, the first time we have crossed paths. Uh, there is plenty of stuff that, uh, that I have um, uh, in, the, in, in this folder. Um, this is not going to go well for you. Um, and um, uh, and uh, and so uh, I was like, okay, uh, yeah. I mean, this is this is up to you. Uh, do what you think is right. Uh, like I said, I'm very happy to withdraw the grant, but if you prefer that we keep the grant in and we go through an internal disciplinary procedure, then um, then then go for it. Um, uh, and so so I, I submitted to that process. Um, so. Um, uh, that happened. Nothing happened next. I heard nothing from him. But uh, we uh, then had another conversation. Uh, this time it's about the postdoc. And this time he was calling me in um, uh, to, uh, to, to say that I needed to do something uh, to get this postdoc off his back. Uh, the union were now on his back. Uh, I was this postdoc's line manager, and it was up to me to get the postdoc off his back and tell him to drop the case with the union. Uh, and uh, and I was like, uh, no, uh, the, my postdoc is right, and I've been trying to argue his case all of this time. I, I, the way he's being treated is completely wrong. Uh, clearly, I'm not going to tell him to drop the case. And anyway, it's not up to me. It's him that went to the union. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and of course, uh, he then um, uh, to, uh, opened the drawer again and reminded me uh, about the file he had on me. 
uh, and uh, the fact that the, the reason he had not yet uh, put this into the internal disciplinary process was that, in fact, he was debating whether or not he should actually take the matter to the police instead. Um, uh, and when I didn't react to that in the way that he wanted me to, clearly, um, uh, I was uh, uh, controlling how I looked, although uh, the, the fear was real in, inside me. Uh, he also explained um, that this kind of thing is the, the sort of thing that can destroy people's uh, careers. Uh, ultimately, uh, the, the likelihood is this, this will lead to me getting the sack. Uh, and he pointed out uh, how well connected he was across the, the fields, um, across the UK. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, he had the power to make sure that I wouldn't be able to work anywhere else in the country. Uh, so, uh, let's have a think again about your postdoc, shall we, Mark? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, so uh, clearly I could see, so this is how it's going to go. He's going to use this to blackmail me. Oh my goodness. And so uh, I told him uh, I wouldn't be doing that, and um, uh, go ahead, talk to the police if you want to, uh, and please do submit this to the internal process, let's just get this thing done. So months went by, still nothing, um, uh, and I decided, you know what, uh, enough is enough, I'm going to the Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Research, um, who's in charge of this process, uh, and I'm going to ask, what's, what's happened to, to, this, uh, to, to this process? Uh, why have I not heard anything yet? Um, and, um, and so I, I went into her office and uh, I was like, so this disciplinary procedure. And she was like, what disciplinary procedure? I don't know anything about that. And I was like, oh, has nothing been submitted? Uh, no. Okay, so I need to now tell you what's happened. Um, and so I kind of hammed this up and I was like, look, yeah, I can't believe I did this. It was clearly wrong. Uh, I've offered and I still am happy to withdraw the application. Um, yeah, ultimately, if this is a resigning matter, I, I'll, I'd be happy to resign. I would rather that than be sacked. Um, uh, but yeah, here I am, I'm going to confess all. And you'd see her like, oh my goodness, what is he going to say? <laughs> and so then I explained what I've explained to you. And her reaction was priceless. Uh, she actually laughed. I was like, this is not how I expected this to go. Uh, and she was like, hey, have you any idea of the skeletons in closets I know about in this university? And um, yeah, and that's what you're worried about? Yeah, the, the yeah, I would have done the same if I was in your shoes. Uh, well, actually, I probably wouldn't have done because uh, actually this is what you should do next time this happens, Mark. Uh, but yeah, given that you didn't know that, I would have done the same because clearly we want this funding and clearly uh, he is happy for you to do that and you did exactly the right thing in terms of going to him. You've been completely transparent about this. This is not a matter for disciplinary action. Um, in fact, yeah, I'd be giving you a, a pat on the, uh, on the back uh, and applauding you for your, um, uh, your, uh, your, what's the word for it that she used? Um, uh, not tenacity. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, for taking the initiative. Uh, you resolved, resolved the problem and the way you dealt with it was, uh, was great. Um, but uh, the way that uh, this person has dealt with this is far from great. And it looks like there's another conversation that I need to have and it's not with you, Mark. Now, that's not to say that you're going to have the same reaction. Uh, you're not interested in growing the funding of your university. Uh, she perhaps was more cavalier than, uh, than you think she ought to have been. 
uh, and perhaps you would have taken this more seriously, uh, I certainly uh, have continued to take this very seriously. Um, uh, this was not appropriate. I should not have done it. Uh, I made uh, the wrong decision. Uh, it was one of those split-second things. Uh, uh, and as I alluded to earlier, it has had huge, huge uh, demotivational power for me, uh, just proving this suspicion. Perhaps, just perhaps, I have no moral compass. Uh, perhaps I could be capable of anything. <laughs> and of course, the fact that I have uh, mulled over this for so many years and regretted this for so long uh, is uh, clearly the evidence that I do have a moral compass and I feel that guilt and it is real. Uh, and I'm not going to make that kind of mistake again. I will think twice uh, next time I get into a difficult situation like that. <sighs> What I did was wrong, um, and and I think that for many of us, we have things like this. So what have you done that's wrong? What are you keeping a secret from other people? Uh, uh, and I, given that we all do something we regret at some point in our lives, the question is, how will we deal with this when it happens? Not how on earth did I not, how, why did I do this? How could I have not done this? It's happened. We have to live with this. But the question is, how are we going to deal with this? Will it destroy us? Or will we find a way to make amends, to pick up the pieces, to say sorry? Uh, uh, I would argue simply saying sorry or handling yourself in the way that I did might be the first step. Uh, maybe that's what you need to do. Uh, go and make amends. Um, uh, tell whoever it was, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, but I'm going to suggest that that will only be the start. Uh, the second step is that we need to learn from what we did so that we can make sure that it won't happen again. And of course, that much is obvious. But the third and most important step, which I think we often forget, is integration. We tend to split these experiences and parts of ourselves off from ourselves and we hold them at arm's length. Yeah, that kind of was an old version of myself. I can diso I'm disowning. That wasn't really me. <laughs> Perhaps that's one way of dealing with it. But in doing that, we don't fully own these parts of ourselves. And that's, I think, what holds us back from ever starting the first two of those steps, making amends. Um, and learning from what we've done to prevent this from happening again. Um, yeah, so we need to do this integration, and that integration actually may well be the very first step that then enables us to make amends and prevent this from ever happening again. And if you are worried that it might happen again, then this is crucial, because if you've not integrated this, if you've split this off, this is kind of some previous version of myself, who knows, if you've not processed this properly, maybe you are actually uh, gonna do the same thing again, if the same set of circumstances appears again in your life. And so I wonder if, like me, for you, you're looking at this mistake, this this thing that happened to, to you in a different light now, and you're seeing why this has held so much power for you. It's not because necessarily of the gravity of the mistake, but because of what it has shaped inside you. Uh, and in particular, the, the power, the negative power uh, of, of the parts of you that you have disowned as a result of this, that are still lurking there on your subconscious, uh, confirming things, uh, voicing things, disempowering you. Uh, and, uh, and yet, when we own this, when we integrate this, this can be very different. It can speak 
to a completely different reality. And so uh, from one reality where, yeah, I have no moral compass, I'm capable of any kind of evil, who knows? Um, yeah, maybe I'll turn into a mass murderer. You, know, you look at the, uh, the childhoods and, uh, and the life experiences of these people who end up getting life, life sentences. Maybe that could have been me in a future life. Maybe it might be me in a future life. As I've said, I, I tend to, towards catastrophizing. Um, you know, this world, which is a dark and scary place, there are people out there to, who are going to try and get me, uh, who are going to bully me, who are going to blackmail me. Yeah, here is all the evidence I need. Be careful, Mark. Uh, watch your back the whole time. So, yeah, there is one reality, all from that single experience. And yet now, a different reality as so I own this. Look at this now. Uh, as an integrated part of who I am at this point, in my life, uh, and uh, and I can see that uh, that uh, that what I was doing, uh, I believed at the time was right. It was just the lesser of two evils, and by explaining what I had done and offering to withdraw the application, I'd kept my focus on the morals of my choice throughout. I know uh, that there is something I can do here, and there is something wrong with it, and this is how I address that wrong and integrate that into my response here. And although my honesty here was exploited, I mean, in another world, I could have just not said anything and none of this would have unfolded and probably nobody would have ever known. <laughs> but I couldn't live with myself to do this. And so here we are. Here's some good evidence here that against uh, all common sense, perhaps, uh, I was over honest. But that's me. That's part of who I am. And I can see now that's, that's part of me. And yes, that was exploited. Uh, but the bottom line was that despite knowing uh, who I was dealing with, uh, what they could potentially do with this information, I knew how unwise this probably was. I did what I believed was right and faced the consequences. And taking that course of action was terrifying, uh, but I kept on track anyway. Uh, I hid how terrified I was in that second meeting as I was being blackmailed, um, because I believed it. Uh, stupidly, you might say, um, but uh, but I fell hook, line and sinker. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe I'm going to have a criminal record. Maybe I'll never work again. I, I, I was genuinely in that place. Uh, but I was doing what was right, despite my fear. Uh, and that is, uh, I'm going to argue, the, 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 the courage we need to integrate. Uh, what courage do you need to actually take this, look at it, uh, and integrate it? And so now I'm dealing with the real roots of this negative uh, worldview, which this experience, I would argue, only served to underline. It was there already, uh, based on a childhood in which I'd learned that my mind and behaviours could at any point be controlled by evil spirits. And I've spoken about this before. This is known as uh, spiritual uh, abuse. And as I deal with this, then I'm reframing this mistake that I made. Not as anything other than a terrible mistake. It was. It wasn't right. Uh, and the evidence that I am fallible. It, clearly, uh, I make mistakes. I have limitations. But I'm reframing this as also, equally. Uh, here I am, fallible. I'm a man who makes mistakes. But I am also a man who is honest and courageous. And so now I want to conclude. Uh, well, in fact, no, not, not yet, actually. One, one final thing, because I think I maybe not made this framework quite clear enough. So let's try and just kind of codify this, pull out exactly what's going on here. So we've got a kind of a step-by-step -step thing going here in terms of 
uh, yeah, why we are made by our mistakes uh, and uh, and made uh, this this made me <laughs> uh, in in that really positive sense of uh, of the word. Um, and I think the first part of this is is fairly straightforward. It's just this idea. Um, <clears throat> That, as I said, there are these three things we need to do when we've made a mistake. So, A, we admit what we've done rather than covering it up. We apologise and we make amends. Uh, secondly, uh, we understand why we did what we did. Uh, we look at we've, what we've done and we try and extract lessons. So yes, I've got this feeling. I feel, uh, I, I feel shame, actually. That, that's the feeling, if I'm honest about it. Uh, why do I feel that shame? Uh, well, actually, that is pointing me to a whole load of lessons that I need to learn because actually shame is not proportionate. Guilt is proportionate. I should feel guilty about this, but I shouldn't feel shameful about this. Huh, actually, yeah, you know what? Really, I probably feel both of these things. So what is the guilt telling me to do? Uh, and this now makes me go back and make more amends, um, makes me put things in place to prevent this from ever happening again. And the shame tells me there's deeper work to do because this is clearly not just the thing that happened. There, there are other things this is triggering, reminding me of, um, uh, taking me into. Uh, so one, uh, I admit what I've done, apologise, make amends, the obvious stuff. Two, I learn from this uh, and I go deep. I see what I can learn that can enable me to be a better person. And then third and finally, we take this understanding now to this deeper level. So it's not just that kind of cognitive learning of what did I do? Uh, what can I do to prevent this from happening again? Uh, there's this kind of moral learning. I'm not even sure that's the right word, but a deeper sense of learning in which we start to see how our mistakes are shaping our identities. Uh, despite our attempts to often split these parts off from ourselves, these are a part of ourselves. Uh, and yeah, I was a different person then. Uh, I don't know, I was drunk uh, or whatever it might have been. More, uh, there were mitigating factors. Uh, but uh, either way, uh, we, we aren't owning what we've done as long as these are split off from ourselves and we've disowned them. Uh, and as long as they are split from ourselves, um, uh, then we can bury them uh, and ignore them uh, and bury them in our subconscious where they then begin to have subconscious power in our lives. Uh, so uh, we try and understand um, how they've shaped our identity. Uh, we own the split off parts uh, and we start to integrate them. And by understanding how these experiences shape us, we can begin to question some of the negative ways in which we view ourselves. Uh, we can see how uh, these shame-based identities uh, have actually driven certain behaviours. Um, uh, uh, encourage us to keep pushing those identities down, splitting them off, uh, denying them, disowning them, um, rather than interrogating them. Uh, and it is only by interrogating uh, those identities, interrogating the shame, uh, that we can hold out a hand of self-compassion to the person we were at that time in our lives. And for me, this has actually been a part of my own spiritual, emotional process with, uh, with owning, integrating, learning from this at this deep level. I'm going back and I'm talking in my imagination uh, to early career Mark um, uh, that day uh, as I had that decision to make, as I made that decision in the aftermath of that decision. 
and saying very different things to my former self than what I was saying in my internal dialogue <laughs> at that time. Um, so we hold out this hand of compassion to, to our former self, uh, the person that we were when we made that mistake. And, um, and who knows, uh, let's just be honest here, uh, put back in that position again, identical context, I am early career me, uh, with all of that knowledge, I would probably make the same decision again. Uh, and I think that also helps me to have self-compassion. Uh, and yeah, how many other people have made similar mistakes? Uh, how who else put in that same situation would have made the same decision and assumed they would have been given the benefit of the doubt uh, incorrectly? Um, but of course, with the benefit of, uh, of hindsight, I can now see everything that I did right about how I dealt with the mistake. Uh, and without denying my guilt in the matter, I'm not covering this up, I'm integrating, remember, uh, I see it for just that guilt that shows me that there are morals, uh, that shows me I have a conscience, that shows me the decisions I need to make that will be in line with my values, that will help me put things right and prevent me from stepping out of line with those values again in future. Uh, and so now in addition to seeking forgiveness from those I've hurt, uh, I also finally take the journey of self-forgiveness, which as I said at the beginning, the hardest one you can ever take. <laughs> uh, and I learn uh, that I have not only learned from my mistakes, I have become who I am, in part because of these mistakes. And all of these things are part of me, the fear and the courage the fallibility and the honesty. I suffer crippling anxiety and yet I know I can display incredible courage when I need to. I can make enormous mistakes with huge repercussions and yet I am always open, transparent and honest about what I get wrong. And so in conclusion to the title of this episode again, remember, we are made with mistakes. Fallibility is built into who we are as human beings. Uh, to make mistakes is just part of the human condition. <laughs> we are designed to be perfectly imperfect. But there's a deeper meaning in all of this. We are made with mistakes. Who we are has been shaped and made by our mistakes, including parts of ourselves that we find problematic, as well as parts of ourselves that we truly value, that we would not have become if it were not for our mistakes. So this is this sense of the title of this, this podcast, we're made with mistakes, as we've made it, that kind of made it. And if there is any respect in which you can say, yeah, I've made it, there is an element of what you've done, how you've made it, which has been made with your mistakes. This is not just about being able to live with our mistakes. It's about living our mistakes as part of who we are and transforming regret into an experience of being more fully alive than ever before as we embrace our whole selves more fully and authentically than ever before. 